0: Many, many years ago at this point, uh not long after Amber's grandfather had died, she decided she wanted to go back to the to the grave site and she was going to uh plant some seed there, some grass seed and uh maybe give that a little boost on its way to uh you know, not looking like a piece of dirt. So with her at the graveyard and I was you know, just standing around, I thought, hey, while I'm standing around, might as well sit, right? And so I sat down on the, one of the tombstones sitting next to uh, there, and she said, uh, she goes, you better get up. And I said, well, why, why should I get up? And she goes, well, if the family comes through and they see some stranger sitting on mom or dad or grandpa or grandma, they're going to get pretty upset with you. And uh, I said, well, that kind of makes sense. So I got up and looked down to see who I was sitting on. And when I seen it, I thought, "Nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about that." Uh, and I sat back down. So the reason I did because the person I was sitting on at that time was Ted and MB's tombstone, and they weren't dead. And I thought, "Well, if they're not gonna use it, I might as well." And that's why I sat back down. So, <laughs> uh, but sometimes in our lives, things happen, and we think that you know. We're, we're in the right and we're doing what's right and we come to find out that no, no, we, in all honesty, what we were doing, you know, just, just wasn't the right thing. I probably shouldn't have been sitting on it even though they weren't using it at the time. And now, of course, you know, Ted has passed on since then and MB is sitting back here in the back just looking wonderful. Uh, tonight's lesson, I entitled it, because if uh, you give a lesson now, you have to give a title uh sincerely lost and i want to look at uh, a couple of people we could look at a lot of people but uh, who were so sincere in their in their motives and what they did but in the end they were completely wrong we all we all believe i think across the board no matter pretty much what religion you're at we all believe that uh, the lord or god or whoever's god you serve as long as you obey them that you automatically get to go to heaven one of the signs that we put recently up on the on the uh, on the marquee outside was uh, was more people in America believe in heaven than believe in God. Uh, everyone seems to believe that they're going to heaven, even though they don't put a lot of effort into religion or uh, to studying God's word. And and we try to we try to focus on that. Uh, uh, heavily here at Center Grove, especially when our teachers are over here in the Bible classes, going through the Bible, and, and we try to walk them through that. And as they learn, we learn as well. But nowhere else, other than religion, do people have the belief that uh, that whatever you do will be okay as long as you do it with sincere heart. Um, a lot of people have that belief with religion. John's lesson this morning talked about how postmodernism uh everyone's opinion is is good enough for them um, you can go back and look over that but uh can't think of any other circumstance other than religion where it's whatever you believe and and that's okay uh that's going to be okay with God uh tonight uh we're going to start in the, with a character in the or a person in the Old Testament I almost say character he's a real real person um, who is very sincere uh, and what he did, but uh, in the end, it's going to cost him. Uh, we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter, chapter 12, verses 25, starting at verse 25 there. All right. And it says, Then Jeroboam, he built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and dwelt there. and Also, he went out from there and, and built Penuel and jeroboam said in his heart now the kingdom may return to the house of david if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the lord jerusalem then the heart of his people will turn back to their lord rehoboam king of judah and they will kill me and go back to rehoboam king of judah therefore the king asked advice he made two calves of gold and said to the people it is too much for you to go up to jerusalem Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now, this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, as as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, and he made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, offered sacrifices on the altar, so he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel, and offered sacrifices on the altar in the burnt incense. A little bit of reading there, but what happened was as the two kingdoms split up, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split up. Jeroboam and all of his little wisdom said, "No, I can't have all of these people making that trek back down, back down to Jerusalem because if they do, they will fall back in love with the priests, they'll listen to them, they'll start worshiping again. They'll listen to Rehoboam, which is the king of the southern kingdom. They're in Judah. And I just can't give up this power that I just now got. So he devised a plan. I will set up my own temples, my own uh, items of worship, these golden calves. I'll put not one, but two places that the people can go to worship to. And I will just make it so easy for everyone that they won't want to leave my kingdom and go to another kingdom. Then he also uh, made this feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. Like we read about, like they were like they were worshiping in Judah. He made his own feast as well. So as king, he changed the place of worship, he changed the object of worship, he changed the leaders of worship, and he changed the time of worship. So if you were wanting change, he was your king. He was going to give you everything you wanted, just as long as you stayed there. The problem was, he had no authority to do any of that. And God looked down and he saw all the changes that were made and he became very upset. So we see in chapter 13, God sends a young messenger, or we call him a young messenger anyway, uh, sends him down to give the king what God thinks about all these changes. And it says there, uh, Behold, the man of God went from Judah to Bethel, by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Well, Jeroboam wasn't a Levite. He didn't have the right to be the priest. He wasn't allowed to do the incense burning or be at that altar or have uh, command over that. It says in verse 2 there, Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burnt incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Well, obviously this made Jeroboam very angry, because this is his altar that he's built, his golden calf, uh, his high priest, this is his domain, and who is this person that's come and told him that he's going to lose his kingdom to a man he's never heard of before, that all these dead bones are going to be poured out, uh, all these bad things are going to be happening, so he gets angry, and it says in verse 4, so it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. And then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. You know, it's Halloween. I'm going to put a little horror story in here. Jeroboam gets angry. He tells the guards to arrest the man that come in there. When he reached out his hand to say, Arrest him, his hand withered up and and many of y'all have seen uh, some form of that Uh, if you've been around uh, maybe somebody who's had a stroke maybe somebody who's had an accident uh, you've seen problems with the hands Uh, once when i worked uh, at the place down here in in jackson county uh, i worked with a guy who only had one good hand this other hand was just a shriveled up ball but he took that one hand, and he could work twice as hard as any normal man, just because he had had it since a young age, and he could grab a hole, even though he didn't have fingers, he would use his other hand. One hand looked like a, you know, a bodybuilder, a lifter, because it was that power hand that he's been using to do all this work, and his other scrawny hand, but he used them both. But Jeroboam, when that hand uh, withered up, what did he do? Well, he he said, oh, no, this is bad. So in verse verse uh, uh, 6 there, he says, uh, And the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And so the messenger, he did likewise like he had asked. So the, the man of God, he he uh, prayed to God or he, he burned incense or he did something to plead to God to restore this hand back to the king. And you wonder, why did God even allow this to happen? Why didn't God just take out Jeroboam, you know, how things go? When it comes to a kingdom, there's always some number two guy who's ready to step in and, and take his place, but, uh, but God didn't. He, he allowed him to stay in a place. And, and as, as we read on, we see what happened to this, to this messenger, this messenger Uh, skipping down to uh, verse 11 there it says uh, now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and they told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king and their father said to them which way did he go for his sons had seen the way in which the man of God went who came from Judah and so what happened was all the events of the day had taken place. Some of the men uh, that were there at the temple come home and they told their father, who was an older prophet, all the things that had happened. And he got all excited because he's like, you know, a, a messenger, a prophet of God. I want to go see this person. So he asked his sons. He said, "Where did they go?" And and the and the son said, uh, "Well, he left left this way." So he hitched up his donkey and and he starts heading out and he's he's running towards him and at this point I think his sincerity was a hundred percent that of God's that he all he wanted to do at this point was go and speak to a man of God because he's living in a kingdom that doesn't worship God uh, correctly at all and on his way he has these thoughts of what he's going to do when he gets there and I think is just uh, he wants to you know be friends be friends with this other messenger but things don't go uh, quite as, as planned. Uh, it says in verse 16, and uh, he had asked him to come to his house. He had asked him to come to eat. Verse 16, he said, the young messenger said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. The man of God, he, he does exactly everything that God tells him to do. He, God says, when you go and you tell the king the things that you're doing, I want you to leave. I want you to go, uh, leave from a different way. I don't want you to stop and eat or drink. You just leave. And he did exactly what God told him to do. But the older prophet, for whatever reason, That was not good enough for him. He was going to have this meal. He was going to bring him back to his house. Maybe he wanted to look good in front of his friends. Maybe it was a popularity thing. For whatever reason, in verse 18, he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. but he was lying, he was lying to him. In all sincerity, this young prophet had really no reason not to believe the older prophet. To me, this is one of the saddest things where someone tried his hardest to do exactly what God said to do, but he believed somebody else. Well, he went back, he ate the meal, some of y'all already thought this through of what's going to happen. As he's sitting there eating the meal, the word of God comes back to the prophet again and the messenger and says, uh, you, didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. And he says, God tells him, he says, you will never return back to the home of your fathers. And we know that after that, when he left, a lion came and ate him up. Today and across this world, People worshiped in all many different ways, right? People worshiped idols. People worshiped uh, different gods. But what really irks me, and I hope it does you too, is a lot of people worshiped real close to the way we worshiped this morning. There was only a few different things that we could change in their worship service. To make it right before God. But because some man at some point decided that, you know, it would be good if we just make a few changes here and there. And because they made those few changes, we have thousands of people who do not worship God the way that he wanted him to be worshipped. And in this case, we can feel bad about the young prophet. We can say, well, you know, he honestly did what he thought was right. He was very sincere. But in the end, what happened? He was lost. Now secondly, we look at another man in the New Testament. A man who is so wise and knows so much about the gospel, and, and, or knew so much about the Bible anyway, but had it completely wrong. Luke talks in Acts chapter 8 about a man whose name is Saul. And in verse 3 there it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, Saul was a very well-educated man. He knew the ins and the outs of, of, of religion, and he had been taught by very wise people, but his idea of religion is god is only going to love me if i go out and i get as many jews as possible if i get them thrown in jail if i get them arrested if they can be killed this is what saul's whole life consisted of was to destroy the church with every power with all of his being one of the most hated men in the area of jerusalem is saul And he was so sincere in all of his goals. He put every effort he had, even to the point that where most people would not have gone to the uh, degree or, or to the extent that he did to punish the Lord's church. Using every ounce that he had in his body, that's what he did. All in the name of the Lord. He didn't show any favoritism. Men, women, children all were it is in his graphs to go he would drag them into the court system he would send them away and we come down in chapter 9 if we skip down to verse 1 it says then saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the lord went to the high priest and he asked letters from him To the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Saul, breathing out threatenings, the slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the to the high priest Gamaliel, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, that's kind of like Saul's boss. He says, "I have all of these letters that you've given me. All of these things that I can hand and have people arrested for being a Christian. Could you please give me some more? I want some more. How many people can I can I punish for worshiping the Lord's church?" And that was his life. That's what he did. And he said, "I'm." He tells him, "I'm going. I'm going to Damascus, and I'm going to round a bunch of them up." Very sincere. But well, what changed? We see here in verses 3 through 6, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Notice there in verse 6, him standing there talking to Jesus. Jesus already said who he was, and he says specifically, What do you want me to do? And Jesus says, Go into the city, and I will tell you what you must do. He goes it goes on, verse 8 and 9, says, uh, Saul arose from the ground, with when his, his eyes uh, were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight. He neither ate nor drank. We don't doubt one bit on Saul's sincerity, on, on what he thought he was doing was right what he was doing was for god when he stops on the road to damascus and god strikes him blind god speaks to him and god says i will tell you what you must do once you go into the city and so he goes on, he goes in the city. We know from the story that uh, he tells Ananias to go and, and to find Saul. He tells him exactly where Saul is, where you will find him. Uh, we know that he, was, he didn't eat, he didn't drink for three days. I don't understand how anyone comes up with this theory that Saul became a Christian on that road to Damascus when he says, who are you, Lord? How do they get to that point when it specifically says later on he will be told? But I can see all kinds of religions this morning that said that when he confessed God on that road to Damascus, that was the point that he was saved. The confession was the salvation point. Uh, Even this morning when I was doing the questions with the kids and uh, I've never really noticed, but one of the questions on the card, and as I was reading it, it said, when did Saul become a Christian? And the answer was, on the road to Damascus. And I, said, and I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, no, there's more to that. Uh, so I need to mark that question out, or I need to change how that, how that is worded. Uh, Titus is looking at me like, no, this is not in our material. No, it's not in the material. It's something I have separate. So he's like, Titus is like, whoa, we teach that in every class. I was like, no, we didn't teach that in every class. That's something I do uh, at the end of class with questions. But many people believe that, that the confession that he made. If salvation came to Saul at that point, how miserable was that? He was blind. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He had to be go, go and be told what to do. There is no way that salvation came at that point. But today, hundreds of thousands of people were said, were told, if you'll say this prayer with me right now, then you will be saved. And then we'll go and we'll tell you what else you need to do after that. Saul was a chosen vessel. Later became Paul. Verse 15 Uh, It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, for kings, and the children of Israel. God had a plan for him to spread his gospel, to build his church uh, to the Gentiles, to to people like us. So Ananias went, and when Ananias went to him, we know that he received his sight. We know that uh, he went, and what did he do? He went and baptized him. Uh, did Saul do what God wanted to do? No. But was he sincere? Yes. Did the messenger do what God had told him to do? No. But was he sincere? Yes. Both were very sincere in their actions. Only problem was one was killed for what he did was wrong, and one was allowed to live. We can believe some lies. I know... Uh, John Mayberry this morning, when, when he was talking, he talked about how sometimes he's lied to about, about certain things and, and uh, how it didn't really seem to bother him any, uh, anymore. But, you know, it, it bothers me when, when people uh, don't tell you the truth. Uh, that, that bothers me. And, and people lie t- to me a lot. And I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if they mean to or not. But uh, for some reason, when people come into the hospital... They tend to say things that just aren't true. And maybe because of the medication we have them on. That, and that gives them a good excuse. Um, but we come to find out things just aren't the way they say they are. We, uh, we worship a God who is all about truth. And, and the lesson that John had this morning, it covered that to the ninth, ninth degree on what truth was. About a month ago, John Mayberry gave a lesson, uh, and it was talking about the, uh, the church and, and the acts of worship, and if you'll turn over to uh, John chapter 4 uh, from the reading that... Uh, John chapter four verses twenty three and twenty four. What does God want from us? Is, is it so complicated? Is it so hard that the reason that we have so many religions today is not because uh, not because that that's the way God intended it, but because it's just so hard to worship in truth that that's why we have so many. I, I, I just don't think that's the case because when we look at this verse, Jesus talking here, he says, uh, the hour is coming and now is, that now is, is right here today that true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking all of us to worship him like that every day. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth nothing else is going to be accepted on the day of judgment if it is how do we explain this verse here there's only one truth there's only one god there is only one word and that's god's word and if we don't worship it correctly what is that going to count for our soul on the day of judgment we can be sincere hundred percent in everything that we do. But we're still going to make mistakes, right? We're still going to falter. We're still going to sin. We all have sin. That doesn't mean we're going to live in that sin, but that, doesn't mean, that does not mean that we are going to have problems in our life to where we will sin. But when it comes to worship, that's one thing that we've got to get it right. Uh, there's no other way around it. No matter how sincere anyone is, If you don't worship correctly, it will not be acceptable to God. And uh, that really bothers me. uh, The fact that there's so many people that think they're religious and even act like they're religious, and maybe even talk like they're religious. But after you listen to them for a while, you realize that their religion is so far away from the truth that God laid out in this book. and it's where would you even start? You know, sometimes there's no way to start with them because their mind is already made up, and, that, and that's the problem. Uh, people's heart and hearts get hardened, and, and there's no way to, to bring them back. Uh, but tonight, tonight we worship our Lord. Tonight we sing songs Brother Mike. We've prayed to him. Uh, we've, we've had a, a lesson from his word. Uh, we're going to have an invitation here. Uh, the invitation uh, is for anyone who has not become a child of God, who wants uh, to be baptized, to uh, to uh, give their life over to God. Uh, it will take more than just a confession uh, if you if you want to be right with God, and it's going to take more than just baptism as well, because we, like John spoke this morning. Uh, it doesn't end with a period, baptism doesn't end with a period, after that uh, the real work begins, and those who have been Christians for a long time can can confess to how hard that is at times in your life, but